You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I'll be flying solo again this evening. Alex, uh, basically uh, some work commitments. Alex is burning the midnight oil, as they say. He's, uh, he's, he's got his hands full at work. He messaged me a little while ago, said, sorry, dude, meeting with the boss, can't make it. So hopefully next week uh, Alex will be back. But uh, I'm sure quite a few people have had their, their work lives turned upside down given the, the current situation. But we do have Christian Dyer joining us tonight. Christian Dyer of Sports Illustrated, a good friend of the show. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Mackay Becton. Christian had a, a, an interesting piece on him today. With uh, If you get a chance, check it out, uh, Christian R. Dyer. Uh, check him out on Twitter. He, he tweeted the article out on SI, and he basically was able to get his hands on a full 44 minutes, 45 minutes of Makai Becton when Louisville played Syracuse. He got every snap of uh, Becton in that game. And you get to see some of the skills that, it, that, you know, that made him a guy the Jets picked where they picked. So Christian will be joining us a little bit later on. To, to talk a little bit as well, um, and I'll cover it now. But before we go any further, let's, uh, let's thank our sponsor. Let's, let's, let's tip our caps to the folks at Mile Social. So if you're a, uh, you're a business owner yourself, big business, small business, medium-sized business, whatever size business, and you need some help managing all of your social media platforms, your social media needs, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it may be, lots of platforms to manage, Mile Social will run those platforms for you. So check them out. Go to their website, MileSocial, that's M-I-L-E social.com, all one word, MileSocial.com. Check them out. Run all your, uh, your, your, your business's social media platforms for you. So what we're going to cover tonight, I'll, I'll discuss it a little bit now, and we'll get a little bit more in-depth with Christian. But all of a sudden, the Jets are, are in the news. Um. Just when it looked like they were done, or you know there there wouldn't really be any other big name players brought in, given their cap situation. Which the Jets' cap situation, folks, is it appears to be better than we were led to believe, even just a few weeks ago, and kind of explain how that happened. At least from my perspective, uh, the Jets were sitting at about fifteen million in cap space for for weeks. This according to OverTheCap.com. And that was when Jordan Jenkins' deal hadn't been made official. And even after it was made official, it was a little while till the folks at Over the Cap were able to get their hands on the, the actual numbers. But the Jets were sitting at $15 million. There were no contract numbers loaded for Jenkins. You had Fails, got signed to his deal. Mollett signed to his deal. And neither of those guys are going to cost very much. But even, even if you figure they were a million apiece, and the Jenkins deal was reportedly worth... Five million, that leaves you, you know, less than ten million to play with. Of course, the Tremaine Johnson money was going to come off the eleven million, but they're estimating that the rookie rookie pool will be 
not a great deal different from what Johnson's money will will save. So if Johnson saves eleven, I think the rookie cap is or the rookie pool is expected to cost just over nine. So that only saves him a couple million. So it was looking pretty slim. But then all of a sudden, and I I, I looked through the numbers, I couldn't figure out why. And really, I guess the why isn't vital. But one day, because I, I check every few days, check the, check over the cap.com for the Jets cap situation to see if there's any noticeable changes, if anything got adjusted. And all of a sudden, one day, that $15 million jumped to $18 million. No explanation. I don't know if they double-checked their numbers. If Whatever hit, whatever happened, the Jets went from $15 million to $18 million. Not a ton of money, but not bad. That's an extra $3 million to spend on somebody. And then Jordan Jenkins... His contract numbers come in. And it's instead of being the $5 million that we were told through the media before the numbers hit over the cap, it was $3.2 million. Again, not a ton, but not $5 million either. Actually, three point looks like the, the okay, the 3.2 would be if they cut them, which obviously they're not going to do that, just sign them. But the cap hit is 3.9. So you save a little over a million there. So you've added three. Out of the blue, another million plus with Jenkins. And then you're going to add another couple million with, uh, with Tremaine Johnson being cut. So that alone, that, like those three factors, that's enough to sign another player. That's eight, nine million. They'll be sitting where they are now at roughly 15 or sorry, they're at 15 now because of that added money. They Right now, they would have been probably around 6 or 7, if not for that added cash. The extra 2 from Johnson, the extra 1 from Jenkins, and the extra 3 that just showed up. So what is that? $6 million. So $6 million, when you're trying to add a veteran on a one-year deal, which appears to be the case with the Jets, that could, that could be enough money for another player. And as, as we all know, we are all well-versed in this, Jets fans. Brian Winters can be shown the door, and that would save 7.2. Avery Williamson could be shown the door. That would save 6.5. I want Williamson to hang around. Winters, on the other hand, that, that was the, the interesting development this week. So all of a sudden, the New Orleans Saints move on, and they cut all pro guard or pro bowl guard Larry Warford, out of the blue, they needed to save cap money. The, the Saints were sitting at around $2 million in cap space. That's, you can't do that. So they cut Warford, saved them $7 million. Total cap move. Now, the, the, the weird thing is, why not trade him for a pick? Like, certainly a three-time Pro Bowl guard who's only 28 years old should be able to fetch you, I mean, at worst, a day three pick. So that was the one shady aspect of it. Like, man, what's what's going on here? What's going on behind the scenes? Things we don't know. Um, is there anything? But if not, if there are no issues, of course Jets fans jumped right on that. Sign this guy. Get him, Joe. 28-year-old multi-time pro bowler. I was right there with him. With the Jets, I tweeted out three minutes after he was cut. Why haven't they signed him yet? Get this guy. He's an upgrade. And he is. 
Then I go back the following morning, because remember, being five hours ahead out here in the UK, ahead of the East Coast, if uh, by the time that news broke, I stayed up for about an hour, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up in the morning, I'm going to watch some, some, uh, some Larry Warford, see what I think of him. And the guy's a mauler, great, great in a phone booth, but doesn't move particularly well. And Adam Schefter or, or Ian Rappaport, I forget which one, they tweeted out, the Saints want to get faster. That was one of the reasons they let him go. He timed as one of the slowest linemen in the NFL back, back in the combine, six, seven, however many years ago. And that did show up on film. Saints asked him to move very little. Didn't see screens to his side. When he pulled, you know, you saw the, the, the lack of agility. I mean, he got, out, he got out to where he needed to be, but it just took him a little longer to get there than you would like. So then you think, well, okay, I can see why it's not a fit. Maybe they don't go after this guy. But then the flip side of that, is Brian Winters the most nimble guy you're ever going to see at right guard? Is he, does he move so much better than Warford that he's worth having an inferior player? I don't think so. Unless the Jets feel like they have someone on the roster now, like a Cam Clark, who's going to be their right guard moving forward, you know, even if it's next year, maybe they don't want to commit to Warford, who's probably looking for, you know, a three-year deal somewhere. But if the price is right, and apparently it is, because after the cut, nobody knew what Warford was asking for. Is, is he going to want $9 million? Is he going to want $10 million? Now, if the, if the rumors are true, Basically, uh, he's looking for $7 million. That's a wash with Brian Winters' deal. So really, the amount of cap space the Jets have right now, if, if Warford really is looking for $7 million a year, the Jets could add him without their cap going up one penny. You're basically swapping him out. Winters for Warford, if you make that move. And to me, that, it, it's a no-brainer. I, you make that move. You make that move. The Jets obviously feel differently because he's been out there for a few days, and we have not heard a whisper. We I've, now we've we've seen we've seen people say it would make sense. We've seen people say the Jets should go after him, but we've heard nothing from anyone, no insiders, no local guys, no national guys who have said the Jets are sniffing around. However, two other names came up in the last couple of days. One that came from Manish Mehta, the New York Daily News. Manish Mehta saying that he spoke with a source who expects the Jets to sign Titans free agent cornerback Logan Ryan. Now, immediately after that, Brian Costello, the New York Post, and Rich Cimini of ESPN tweeted out that they called the Jets, and the Jets said, no formal offers made, we're still talking. Which tells us that somebody told Mehta something. Now, it could be that Mehta's source was a bit more confident and felt like it was going to get done, whereas the folks that talked to Costello and Samini were a bit more tempered and said, well, we, we don't know yet. We're just, we, we, we're, we're talking, haven't even made an offer. But the bottom line is, the Jets are talking to Logan Ryan. And this is something Manish Mehta actually reported weeks ago that the Jets were speaking internally about going after him. Well, I guess after those internal discussions, they've, gone a little further now and they're talking with his people 
and it was rumored to be a one-year deal. And I'll tell you what, if you can get Logan Ryan in here on a one-year deal, I mean, Joe Douglas on the one-year deals. Good Lord. I said the other day, I don't think, uh, I'm starting to wonder if he lives at home permanently with his family or if they all just stay on his house and he gives everybody a one-year deal on their birthday every year. This guy just one year for you. One year. And, and now we're, now there's talk. Possibly the Jets, this is coming from Mike Garofalo, NFL Network, that the Jets are showing interest in Jason Peters. Philadelphia Eagles left tackle. All-world player. Now, he's, he's an old guy, 38, 39, still playing at a high level. He's still playing at a very high level when he's in there. And I say when he's in there because he's, he's missed a little bit of time. And for some reason, uh, I don't know why these things happen, but even though Peters has missed some time, people talk about him like he plays four games a season with injuries. I mean, it's simply untrue. Jason Peters, okay, a guy who everyone tells me, why are we going to sign a guy who doesn't play? Why do you want them to sign a guy who can't get on the field? Why do you want to sign a guy who's always hurt? Okay, can't get on the field, can't stay healthy, always hurt. Here's Jason Peters' games started, number of games started since 2013, up until last year. 16, 16, 14, 16. Seven in 2017. Following year, 2018, 16. Last year, 13. In the last six, seven years, eight years, he's missed more than a couple games once. And then I got people saying, oh, well, he started those games last year, but he missed a ton of time. They had, they had to keep pulling him from games. That This is why I love pro football reference. Went to PFR, look at their game logs, look at the number of snaps played. He played fewer than 92% of the Eagles snaps twice last year in his 13 starts. So in 11 of his 13 starts, he played over 90% of the snaps. The guy, he's on the field, and he's playing at a high level. And in all honesty, if you bring him in, and I got people telling me I'm crazy because I'm suggesting that maybe Mekhi Becton plays somewhere other than left tackle as a rookie. Oh, they're not doing that. You're crazy. Then why are the Jets showing any interest? Jason Peters is a left tackle and a damn good one at that. Makai Becton, as much as I like him, as much as I like the pick, as much as I think he is going to be a damn good player, that does not change the fact that he is a little bit raw. He didn't do a ton of pass blocking in Louisiana. A lot of quick hitters, a lot of screens, a lot of, you know, just get a hand on a guy for an eighth of a second, and that's all we need. Was it PFF said his true pass sets? He had 76, I believe. That's not a lot. Maybe a year of Makai Becton at either left guard or right tackle, wherever you want to put him, while Jason Peters plays on the left side and mentors him and brings him along, that makes a ton of sense. And don't forget, and I said this a few times today to people getting, getting upset about my comments, Jonathan Ogden, all-world Hall of Fame left tackle, started his career at guard. 
Okay, the Ravens brought him in, and they said, let's just let this kid get his feet wet. We'll put him on the inside, and then we'll move him outside to tackle. People are talking like I'm suggesting Mekhi Becton play right guard or left guard for the rest of his life. And that's the other thing. People were getting hung up on, you know, the fact that I said, oh, I, you know, I, I pitched a, a scenario. I said, how about this? I said, Peters, Lewis, McGovern, Becton. Actually, no, sorry, I mentioned Warford. Warford in place of Lewis. And then, you know, whoever at right to fan, Adoga, whoever at right tackle. Um, and people were getting really hung up on where I had Becton. Which I kind of get, but at the same time, my whole point was, get Jason Peters in here if you can. Wherever you want to play, I don't care. Left guard, right guard, right tackle, I don't care. Get get five linemen in here. Because I'll tell you what. I've I've said myself... This isn't a team that, that's going to win anything. There, there's not going to be a playoff. There's not going to be playoff push. There's not going to be any of that. This is a six or seven win team. But that all that changes. You, you, Joe, if Joe Douglas goes out and he signs Jason Peters and he signs Larry Warford, plugs them in on this O line, you better believe I'm expecting a playoff push because now. You've got an all-pro left tackle. Granted, he's old as dirt, but he he didn't play like it last year. I went back and watched him against New England. I went back and watched him against the Giants. He still got it. So Jason Peters at left tackle. Let's say you plug Becton in at left guard. McGovern at center. You got Warford, another all-pro or pro bowler guard. And then may the best man win at right tackle. And throw Cameron Clark in that discussion for right tackle, by the way. I, I'm guilty of it. I keep saying, you know, Fantadoga, Fantadoga. Now, because the money they gave Fant, you have to believe he's going to get that job unless he's a complete disaster. But let's say it's Fant. Who, by the way, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but I went back and watched his game, the final game of the season last year for Seattle, when he played against the, uh, the great Joey Bosa. And I'll tell you what, man. Or sorry, Nick Bosa. He he held his own. He looked like a really good player. Um, not you know not a world beater, but he looked he looked like a much better player than I remember. the first time I went through and watched that film when they signed him. I came away a little bit nervous. I watched it again today and I thought, I I think what it was he had, he had quite a few plays where he lost some ground quickly, but he reset. He you know one or two times he was sort of. In Russell Wilson's lap, but he stopped the charge, stopped Bosa or whoever it was in their tracks, and and stopped them short. So he got the job done against, you know, arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL. So if he can do that against Bosa, I would expect him to be able to do it against anyone. And, you know, do it even more effectively against lesser players, which (laughs) that would describe most other players in the NFL. Bosa's cream of the crop, and Fant really held his own. So you go fan right tackle in that group. I'm sorry, folks, but you know what I'm expecting? Barring injuries, of course, barring another catastrophic run on injured reserve, I'm expecting big things if you do that. 
Darnold should have the time. Bell should have the holes. If Herndon is back healthy, tell me, tell me why at this at that point this isn't a playoff team. I'm I'm totally with you. I'm on board. If you tell me right now, Glenn, this isn't a playoff team, I completely agree. Seven win team. You had an All Pro left tackle and an All Pro guard, or sorry, Pro Bowl left tackle, Pro Bowl Pro Bowl guard. That's an immense upgrade. Immense upgrade. I mean, you're talking about. Kelvin Beecham, who's been a good player for the Jets. Fans don't like him, but they, they, they give him a much tougher time than they should. Good player. But you go from a good player to a great player at left tackle. And Brian Winters, you know, not entirely his fault. I've been saying for years, why the hell do coaches keep rolling that guy out there when he's hurt? I don't know. The results are almost inevitable, but they've been bad. But to me, that's on the coaches as much, if not more so, than Winters. Love the guy. But you replace him with an all-pro, pro bowler, huge upgrade. Huge. The disaster that, that has been the center position for the Jets for the last couple of years finally comes to an end with, with uh, McGovern in the middle. That is three. You got five starting O-line spots, three of them, massive upgrades. Massive and possibly a fourth at, at right tackle, depending on how Fant gets on. Adoga, I, I'll tell you, I, I've mentioned Adoga quite a bit as a guy. He needs to get stronger. He needs to get stronger. We'll see if that happens. But if it doesn't, even if he does, like I said, because of the money they gave Fant, you have to believe he's starting somewhere. But if Fant looks as good as he did against San Francisco, and as good as the Jets obviously think he is to pay him the money they paid him, there's, there's, that's it. The excuses go out the window. Because the defense was ranked 7th in the NFL last year, and they should be getting Mosley back. They should be getting Williamson back. With Tremaine Johnson gone and, and Desir in his spot, they've got to be better in that spot, without a doubt. But if I'm not mistaken, we've got Christian on the line with us now, Christian Dyer. Christian, you with us? <laughs> you wish you were mistaken, but yes, I'm with you. Yeah, you know, fingers crossed and all that, but... uh Christian Dyer, Sports Illustrated. Thanks so much for for calling in, Christian. Uh, was just uh, giving my two cents on this this these rumors that are floating around. Um, a lot of talk that you know the Jets are they 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 came up and they were mentioned as being a team that's poking around Jason Peters. There was of course the story that Logan Ryan. Uh, some folks saying the Jets are only talking. Manish Mehta saying his source said he expects it to happen. And uh, and no rumors, but plenty of fans screaming for this team to make a push and try to get Larry Warford in here. Um, if you're Joe Douglas, you're sitting. The Jets are sitting at about 15 million in cap space. We know they can free up 7.2 by get letting go of Winters, and that's reportedly what Warford is looking for. How, uh, how interested are you in these guys if you're Joe Douglas? And and what are you willing to do? And if you get them, here's here's my. This is what I was just talking about when you called in, Christian. If the to me, if the Jets add Warford and they add Peters, those are such tremendous upgrades at those two spots that it changes the expectations for this season. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it probably ends up being one or the other between Warford and, and Peters. And great to talk with you, and, and, and sorry I'm a couple minutes late calling in. Having a 16-month-old can throw off the schedule just a little bit. So uh, Yeah, def- yeah. Definitely. It, can, it can throw yeah. off everything just a little bit. I got gotcha. you. 
Yeah, well, listen, he's he's 95th percentile in height and 75th in weight, so we might have a a, a nice Dustin Keller running down the field someday, and you know, there maybe, you maybe go. wearing Jets green even, in which case I set up, set up a baby combine in the backyard. <laughs> we're already we're already working on his uh, on his foot speed and quickness. His hands are a little off, but but he's getting better. So uh, we're we're seeing improvement there. But yeah, I, I I think that you know it's it's going to be a balancing act. You can only carry so much money over into 2021, which is what the Jets are going to want to do. Um, you know that's going to be the year when either uh, Jamal gets franchised or or gets an extension. Um, and you're going to want to be able to carry that money over into 2021, 2022. Uh, that could be a year when they have 80, 90 million in cap. And I know we kind of say, oh, what's another eight to 10 million? Well, it's significant if that's the year you're trying to put together the pieces. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think they still have some needs. I, I think the interior of the offensive line is going to be a spot where they're going to want to add one piece. Uh, I'm not sure, too. And I do think that Logan Ryan coming off the year that he had, and he was a tremendous player for the Patriots, and he took that up another level last uh, this past year with the Tennessee Titans. If he's not a part of that secondary, I'm not sure that unit is going to the AFC Championship game. Uh, that that team's going to the AFC Championship game. He really was an upgrade there, uh, not just on the field, but from a leadership perspective. Uh, he may be prepared to do a little bit of a hometown discount. I'm not going to say a, a whole lot, but a little bit, given the fact that uh, he grew up in South Jersey. He played his college football at Rutgers. Uh, he was a standout there. So I, I think that those those two pieces could make the Jets a more intriguing team, a more balanced team. Uh, I think it addresses some needs, but I'm not sure it necessarily takes them up into that next level. So it's got to be a balancing act uh, at the end of the day with what the Jets want to do uh, in, in terms of uh, carrying money over into next year and being major players in 2021 free agency. And now, if I'm not mistaken at the moment, they're, they're basically projected to have $58 million next year. But I think we all know there are some big names that are going to be cut that are going to save money. Uh, you'd expect, I mean, Henry Anderson, for example, unless he has a monster season, they're not paying him $9.5 million next year, and they save over $8 million by cutting him. Um, I think Le'Veon Bell could win the rushing title, and Adam Gase is still going to send him packing. He'll save him another 9.5. So there's, there's money to be saved. But um, I wanted to ask Christian, when, when you look at the, the way that, or, or the rumors of Jason Peters coming in, um, if, if you think back, and I made this point earlier to, to Hall of Fame left tackle Jonathan Ogden, when he, when he broke into the league, the Ravens started him out at left guard, um, you know, to let him get his feet wet. To me, I wouldn't have a, a huge problem with that. You did, a, you did an article today, if you want to expand a little bit on um, that, that all-22 that you guys were able to make available from Mekhi Beckton going up against Syracuse. If Peters does come in, would you have any reservation with saying, you know, Let's let's kick this guy inside or to right tackle, for example, um, and let him learn from Jason Peters, you know, one of the best in the business and and bring him along a little bit slower and not rush him into that that day one left tackle spot. Yeah, there is a thought that Becton might be better on the interior, which to me maybe means that you know you don't know that Jason Peters is necessarily going to be there and what the price point is going to be. But when you're drafting, the the Jets could have had the option of getting Tristan Werps, who some people thought he was going to be just as good of a guard as he was going to be a left or a right tackle in the NFL. Uh, I'm not sure if Becton necessarily has the same upside as Werps does in the interior for a year to be able to learn to adjust. Uh, listen, this is a guy 
guy who's going to need to reshape his body. Uh, his hands are rather poor, all things considered. He's not necessarily a follow-through guy, but what he is is an athlete. He's someone who can pull. He's someone who can get to the second level. Uh, he's someone you could do a lot of different things with, I think, could be very intriguing. Uh, the one I kind of feel badly for is George Fan in all of this, who, who came to the Jets believing he was going to be a left tackle. He was sold on that. Uh, you know nothing's definite in the NFL. They draft, they draft Mackay Becton, and Becton's not going to uh, play uh, you know, right tackle, and they're going to slide George Fan over there. But they may end up doing that uh, if Jason Peters ends up being the, the, a free agent signing and someone they think that they can upgrade the line with. So uh, it, you know, you kind of feel badly for Fan that maybe he goes back to being a blocking tight end. And the great opportunity that he's been waiting for, and the opportunity that he played for last year when he was starting for the Seahawks, uh, might be evaporating even before the, the first game of preseason. Wouldn't that be shocking, though? I mean, to pay a guy $8 million to be a blocking tight end, I, I feel like at that price point, they're going to give him every opportunity to win, at the very least, the starting right tackle job, because that is an awful lot of money to pay a guy to come in and block seven or eight times a game, isn't it? Yeah, I, and I do think that the, that the Peters rumors are perhaps a little bit um, overstated at this point. There, there could be some interest, and I don't think the Jets lose anything by necessarily kicking the tires on it, uh, but I don't think that's a move that we're going to all of a sudden see them rush to make at this point. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense from what they want to do in terms of uh, really the track record that Joe Douglas has built in one offseason, where you could maybe make the argument one and a half off seasons when you look at some of the, the signings such as Ryan Griffin last year, bringing guys who are a little under the radar uh, players who are, you know, are, are maybe coming off a good year and, and either project to be even bigger players uh, down the road or maybe players who, who got banged up and dinged up and he's able to kind of buy low, sell high. Uh, and so I'm not sure if Peters necessarily fits into that. I'm not sure if Wofford does. I think maybe Logan Ryan just a little bit more given the position of need and that he takes the secondary to another level. And listen, you get Logan Ryan there, and I heard you talking about Pierre Desir before. Uh, um, you know, all of a sudden, and then Bryce Hall, if he ends up being healthy, you have a very interesting secondary and the need to be able to have cornerbacks who can be, uh, you know, close to lockdown level really frees up Jamal Adams. If Jamal Adams is able to go out there and be a playmaker, uh, we all saw what he did last year in 14 games. He could very easily set the safety record for most blitzes in the season. Uh, he could be someone who could be feared. They could really just kind of have him roam all over the field uh, and, and just sort of be a maverick out there and, and, and see situations. And you can only do that and create that sort of fearsome look if you have locked down cornerbacks. So I think Logan Ryan's a good possibility, but I'm not as sold on, on the idea that the Jets are going to make major investments on their offensive line after committing all the money that they did. And Christian, you, you and I haven't had the opportunity to, to speak since the draft. Um, so, you know, you mentioned Bryce Hall, who, I mean, everybody loved that pick, obviously, to get a guy that type of value that late. And of course, you know, the top two, those are the big names. You get Beckton, you get, you get Denzel Mims. But, but aside from, if you had to pick another guy, you know, they picked a handful of guys, they added some picks. Uh, do you have a favorite guy just in terms of value or in terms of what you think they can bring? Uh, maybe a, maybe a mid-late rounder who isn't getting enough attention that, that you believe was a really good value pick? 
Yeah, I, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I thought Bryce Hall, what was that pick? And when uh, he was, kind of, you were kind of going through the different mocks. It was pretty consistent that Bryce Hall was going to be a, a round two guy. Maybe a couple mocks kind of had him going round three, and I, and I know I sneered at that idea. I just felt that someone with his length, uh, his speed that he had, uh, if he didn't have that injury, he would have been a top fifty pick in the draft. There's no doubt about it. He he was a three-year starter at Virginia. He put up big numbers. Uh, you know, he always drew the top wide receiver when, when they played the Clemsons and the Florida States and the Miamis. And, and that was a challenge week in, week out, you know, going up against those teams of Louisville and other programs that consistently send uh, wide receivers into the NFL. He, he was that guy who, who did that. And uh, you don't have that kind of length and, and, and that ability and those metrics uh, that he does. And, and you see him fall into the fifth round. And, and I think it was shocking. And this is one of those times where, you know, I think maybe the coronavirus and the pandemic really kind of panned out for the Jets a little bit. You saw that Joe Douglas went in with the philosophy. A lot of the guys that he um, targeted in the draft had injuries, weren't able to participate in the NFL combine, didn't have a pro day. So teams didn't know quite as much about them. Uh, And he was willing to kind of take a calculated uh, risk and a gamble really to, to say that these guys have two or three good years of college production uh, they may have an injury, they may have a knock, but they've been good other than that, and they would have been top players. I mean, Zuniga, if he, if he didn't have uh, the injury that he did, uh, probably would have been very easily a top 75 pick in the draft if he'd come out his junior year um, rather than going back to Florida for one more season. In all likelihood, he probably would have been a top 75, uh, top 90 pick kind of guy in the draft. Instead, he ends up falling uh, into into, where was he, the fourth round? Third round. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all blending together at this point. But, you know, it's in all likelihood, he, he, he probably goes uh, 15, 20 picks higher than, than where he did. So, uh, I, you know, I think looking at what the Jets did, they benefited from this because they trusted their board, they trusted their evaluations, and the teams that were waiting for a pro day or, or, or teams that wanted to see someone like a Bryce Hall at the combine, he didn't run, uh, you know, kind of let him slide down, and the Jets were there to, to really kind of capitalize on the situation. Yeah, I think uh, I think some of the value picks. Every you know, every year you hope that, that that as many guys as possible were were guys that you didn't expect to be there. And I think sometimes we kind of convince ourselves that that's the case. But I think legitimately this season, and and again, the hall the hall one was the big one. You know, I I kind of jokingly yeah. jokingly tweeted, um, even with the injury, I said, you know, he, he's going from a he, he was going from you know good value at this point to to what did he do that we don't know about because he was falling so far that it just didn't make sense. Um, no, and he did and, fall. And, but and if, if you had a mock draft that had Bryce Hall in the fifth round going to the Jets, you know, someone would have said that you had Jets-colored glasses on, right? I mean, yeah, they, no one believed that Bryce Hall was going to be there. He has good uh, second-round uh, caliber uh, you know, talent. And I remember speaking with one agent before the draft, and he was talking with me, and he said, you love Bryce Hall, huh? Because consistently in the mock, they had Bryce Hall going second or third round to the Jets. And I said, yeah. And he said, that guy's a dog. He's going to be a 10-year starter in the NFL. And, and this is not his agent. This is someone who, who had watched him, who had seen a lot of him, and they knew that, that there's the potential there that uh, if it, but for that injury, his senior season, he was incredibly productive up to that point. Uh, this was a guy who was heading towards being a very early draft pick in the NFL. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if things break right for the Jets, they could end up in a situation where both their starting corners are guys that they got on day three or, you know, late in the draft because of injuries if things go well with Bless Austin. But, you yeah. know, we'll, we'll, have to see, we'll, have, we'll have to see how that pans out because that, that cornerback room could end up really crowded really soon. But, of course, uh, you know, some of these guys will be on one-year deals. And that's a good problem for special teams as well, because cornerbacks and safeties, absolutely tremendous. Absolutely. Uh, I would expect that the special teams room uh, is going to be very competitive, and that's going to be a much more talented, longer, and quicker unit as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I just I had one more question before we let you go, Christian, uh, you know, somewhat regarding the draft, because one of the bigger criticisms of Joe Douglas, um, even I mean, I love the draft itself, but I was I was shocked that there weren't more receivers taken. Um, he's betting on himself. He grabbed a couple of undrafted guys, but he did say before the draft and, and kind of anything before the draft, you kind of write off as GM speak because, you know, it's all going to be, you know, nothing but glowing positive things to say about everyone in the organization. But Joe Douglas did say that uh, he said, don't write off Vincent Smith and Braxton Berrios at receiver. Uh, how much do you think he really likes these guys? Cause I mean, I'll tell you what, judging, judging it, when the Jets offense, they were so bad last year. I always feel like it's hard to evaluate anyone. Like, when you're 32nd in the NFL, that requires so many things to go wrong that you don't know if you're seeing what a guy can really do. Um, and what little bit you saw from Vincent Smith, you know, Berrios had that huge catch and run against the Raiders. Are these guys that you think could, could stick and, and win, you know, or, or see some significant playing time this year? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see Smith or Barrios uh, being involved in, and both bring something uh, in, in terms of special teams as well, which Joe Douglas has said is going to be very important. You know, the difference between having a good special teams unit and not can turn a 7-9 and nine team into a 9-7 and seven team very quickly. That's the reason why getting a punter on day three, as the Jets did, uh, could be a significant game changer in terms of field position and, and the boost that, that could give uh, a defense that was you know top five, top six in an awful lot of categories last year kind of elevate them and, and take them up a notch. And you know, I, I think that Joe Douglas did a good job in the draft in terms of the, the wide receivers and then, and then with the undrafted free agents, you know, not necessarily putting all the eggs in one basket. And keep in mind, you draft guys, uh, you know, you draft two wide receivers um, in the same draft, you got to resign them right around the same time too, which could absolutely deplete the wide receiver room as well. Uh, if, if you see both of them leave in free agency. So I think to stagger some of the signings can be very important. You know, I think Perryman is a player who uh, up until last year had a disappointing NFL career. And I think he started to see maybe a little bit of a U-turn coming along. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that there's a huge rush or as big of a rush uh, as some fans wanted uh, in terms of getting assets uh, into the passing game. I think the tight end room is set. I think what the Jets are going to be able to do with P. Ryan, uh, who, who has very good hands out of the backfield with Bell, and then what they already have in the wide receiver room. And, and Perryman uh, certainly uh, has a lot of the uh, analytics that you would compare very favorably to Robbie Anderson. He, he's a little bit faster uh, in terms of straight line speed, not necessarily have the wiggle, uh, as I like to call it, that uh, Robbie Anderson had, but but he's a faster straight line player. Um, he, he has good production overall when you look at last year, um, and, and he did so with, with fewer number of targets uh, that Anderson had. He doesn't have the history of drops uh, in big moments that Anderson has had, so I don't think it's doom and gloom in the wide receiver room, and, and fans love names, they love talent, they love playmakers, but when you have as many holes as the Jets had that needed to be addressed, yeah, you, you take 
take an offensive lineman in the fifth round. Yeah, you take a punter uh, later on in day three. You need to do that. I thought there was good balance. Now, the name I want to see develop uh, potentially uh, and see how he looks in camp is going to be Lawrence Cager. This is somebody who uh, was one of the top recruits in high school when he committed to Miami, uh, went through some injuries, went through some inconsistency, kind of took last year and reshaped his body, put together some good performances at Georgia. But, you know, Scott, if you've heard this again, he had injuries last year that kind of derailed the season. Uh, not the best quarterback play either from Georgia all the time. So he's somebody who he has the size, he has all the tools. Um, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to come in and be uh, Wayne Krebet, the, the undrafted free agent who, who ends up becoming a superstar player and a, fan, fran, a franchise uh, fan favorite. Try saying that three times quickly. I couldn't. Um, but I, I think he could come in and have a solid career. And if he ends up becoming uh, a Patrick Turner who ends up contributing for a couple seasons, you know, the Jets got good value um, you know, earlier this decade or I guess last decade with players like that. So I think Lawrence Cager is someone who could very easily find himself fighting for a roster spot. And what about, if, if you could, I know I said that was the last question, but you mentioned Cage. Yeah, you so did. I have to get your thoughts and on. now there's another one. I, I, I lie. I lie. This is the problem. George Campbell, Christian, West Virginia, another guy, some staggering numbers. When you look at him, uh, yeah. you, you break down his, like his first 12 or 13 college games, however many, I forget the exact number. He basically matched that production in his last four or five games. He had nine touchdowns, I believe, on 18, 19 or 20 catches, something, something like, some crazy ratio where he, aver- he averaged better than a touchdown every three catches and just did some amazing things that you look at and think, where was this for the first 12 games of his career that all of a sudden he's unstoppable? Yeah, he, he's someone who, again, you know, stop me if you've heard this again about Joe Douglas, but I think he looked and said there's some momentum, there's some trajectory, there's some upside. And that seems to be a big Joe Douglas selling point. It, it certainly is an Ozzie Newsome principle. You, you draft players based on upside and potential, and some are going to stick and some aren't. And, and George Campbell is somebody who has an awful lot of the tools. Um, he, he's a fairly decent route runner. His route running did hold him back. He got better as his career went on. Uh, with not getting jammed up at the line, with his releases, with being cleaner, with his catching of the ball. So there's a lot of things you kind of saw when you go back and look at the film from from the first couple games of 2019 to all of a sudden uh, what he was doing towards the end when West Virginia made a bowl game and and they they had a good closeout to their season. Uh, There were a lot of things that you kind of look at and say, you know, there's some tools to work with here developmentally. Is he making the 53-man roster? Uh, he's he's probably not, but does he have a good chance to make the practice squad and be someone who's groomed and, and grows and and could eventually be a contributor? You know, I, I do think that the, that the uh, skill set is there for him, but again, he's another guy who Joe Douglas is looking at and saying maybe he's a late bloomer. He showed some things. If we can get that consistently out of him, we have a steal. Christian Dyer, Sports Illustrated. Thanks so much for joining us, Christian R. Dyer. Um, at Christian R. Dyer on Twitter. Check him out. And uh, like I said, he posted some, uh, some nice uh, all-22 film of, of Makai Becton against Syracuse today. Thanks so much, Christian, for joining us. Uh, take care. Thank you. All right, so that was Christian Dyer. Always a pleasure. Um, and, yeah, listen, you know, I've talked about it. Alex has talked about it. These, uh, these young receivers, it, as much as I, I didn't like that they didn't take another one, uh, Cager's an interesting guy. Campbell's an interesting guy. Uh, definitely some, some attributes there. 
at, you know, and their height, you know, giving them the opportunity to be red zone guys, 6'4", 6'5". Campbell, I believe, is 6'4". Cager's listed at 6'5". So these are big receivers. Cager's got strong hands from what I've seen of him. And, uh, and Campbell, like I said, that explosiveness that, that was invisible early on in his college career, then all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, you know, some big performances. So that's uh, – listen, it's, it's going to be – well, I almost said it's going to be fun to watch in the preseason. We may not have a preseason. We, we may not have a season. I mean, let, let's be real here. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on this because, as I've said in previous weeks, uh, this is an hour or so to, to forget about Corona. But the, the fact of the matter is I don't see games being played with fans. And if games are played, I, I would see some, fan, some players refusing to play. And now will enough of them refuse to play to make it a thing where the league just can't play? It's, it's uh, n- not something I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, with this much lead time, you know, a luxury that other sports didn't have, hopefully they'll be able to um, figure something out. But anyway, uh, moving moving right along, I wanted to talk briefly about, uh, you know, we, we've talked over the years, uh, and you may have seen this, uh, posted this a couple hours ago on JetNation.com, which if you're not on JetNation.com, check it out, log in, sign in, get on the forums. Forums at JetNation.com, the most active Jets message board on the internet. Uh, it gets pretty crazy sometimes. People can, uh, people have some good insights though on there. Some people not so good, but uh, you know it happens when you have that. And we literally we have thousands and thousands and thousands of people on there every day, posting, talking, arguing, discussing, and uh, jump in the fray, jump in the mix, log in, and uh, check out the forums at JetNation.com. Um, so a few things. Uh, one, one right off the bat. I was I was taking a look. I was watching last year's Week 14 game against the Dolphins, uh, all 22, and I can't remember why. I just I, I that's what I do. Sitting around bored, throwing a game from I can't remember why I picked that game if there was a reason. But but sometimes it's fun to go back, even in a miserable season. Uh, it's fun to go back and and either be reminded of some things that you'd forgotten, or to maybe pick out some things that you didn't realize the first time around. And uh, and I'll actually lead with this because this is one one thing that I did kind of ask myself and kind of wondering what the heck is going on here. Something something isn't adding up. So if I had to, if I were to ask you, you know, because we've complained over the years the Jets don't have an edge rusher, and a lot of the edge guys they've drafted have been like the Lorenzo Maldens and the uh, the Jakai Polites, the guys who who bust, but it. There's not even that athleticism there. Like, they're not drafting these athletic freaks, which these tend to be the guys who get to the quarterback. You know, what's what? What's your 40? What's your vertical? How explosive is a guy? What's your three cone? What's your shuttle? All this stuff. Like, how, how well do you move side to side? How quickly are you going to explode out of your stance? Athletes. And, you know, Malden wasn't one of them. Polite wasn't one of them. And to be honest, they haven't used many picks on these guys. And even the guys they've brought in don't fit that mold. And, and, you know, a lot of times I find myself saying it. When are they going to draft some explosive athletes off the edge? Jordan Jenkins. Jordan Jenkins, good player. Not explosive. He's not blowing past anyone and getting to the quarterback. You need guys who can do that. So if we were to sit down and I were to, I were to list for you every edge rusher on the Jets roster, be it, you know, defensive end, outside linebacker, Whatever, just you know, not. I'm not talking about Henry Anderson who's playing, you know, end or tackle. I mean, guys who are going to line up at outside linebacker, guys who are going to line up at end, guys like Basham, guys like Jenkins, 
probably you'd imagine Zuniga, Kyle Phillips might you know might be an end guy. He's not quite a, a you know he's not checking in at two ninety five like like some of the bigger guys. But but if I were to list for you every guy on the Jets rod, let's I'll go through it right now. Frankie Luvu, Harvey Lange, Wyatt Ray, who's you know pretty much an unknown out of Boston College. He won't make the roster. Kyle Phillips, John Franklin Myers, Jabari Zuniga, Jordan Willis, Terrell Basham, Jordan Jenkins. Let, let's count those guys right now as the Jets' edge rushers. Who in that group would you imagine is the most explosive guy in that group? Who's got the best sort of combination? If you, if you took all the factors, if you took speed, if you took you know vertical, which, again, can play a role in how explosive a guy is. If you look at a three-cone, if you look at a shuttle – which guy would you would you venture to guess is, is at the top of the list in that group? I'm not even sure who I would guess. I would probably say Zuniga, based on what I saw from him out of Florida when I went back and watched you know three or four of his games after he was drafted. And uh, but the guy that ended up you know I I I broke down the numbers. I I went into everybody's combine, everybody's pro day, and this is again after watching that Week 14 game. Guy who jumped out a few didn't have any sacks, but 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 got some pressures. Did some things with very few reps. Was Jordan Willis, and I thought to myself, you know, I thought during the year I kept finding myself going, oh, there's that guy again. Oh, there's Jordan Willis. That guy just got another pressure. He did. He doesn't play a lot, but when he does, he 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 shows up. So I thought, let me go look up his numbers, and they looked pretty good. And I thought, well, I wonder where this ranks on the team. Let me let me list seven, eight, nine more edge rushers, you know, defensive end, outside linebacker type, tweeners, whatever. Let me look up every guy in the roster and see where he ranks. Because on game day, he jumps out at me. But the problem, again, doesn't get a lot of reps. Only had 105 pass rush reps on the season. That's not a ton. So I, I, went, I went to the combines. The only one I think who had a pro day was uh, Phillips and Luvu, maybe. But I look up bench, I look up 40, I look up vertical, I look up broad jump, I look up three cone, I look up shuttle. And, I, and three of them I put together. I, I've, I've mentioned this once or twice in years past on the show. Uh, Pat Kerwin, he of Moving the Chains, former Jets executive. He's a guy who came up, created his own formula, N- nothing fancy. But what, what he called an explosion score years ago, he he, he kind of felt like if you if you added up a guy's bench press and his vertical and his broad jump, you, you'd have a, a you'd have a number that takes three attributes that, it, that that contribute to a guy being explosive, quick off the snap, fire out of his stance, get around the edge. You'd have that number. And he sort of anything over seventy is considered, you know, upper end. Maybe not elite, but but like pretty damn good. I don't think that's what he officially called it, but anything over seventy is considered a you know that's what you're looking for when you want to when you're looking for a pass rusher. So Jordan Willis, like I said, bench forty vert broad jump three cone shuttle. Jordan Willis was number one or number two in every single one of those categories. And the ones where he wasn't number one, it was by a hair. Bench press, 24. 
Jabari Zuniga was number one with 29. That's the only thing he didn't come close on. 40 time, Jordan Willis, 4-5-3, best on the team. Vertical, 39 inches, best on the team. Broad jump, 10-5, second on the team to Jabari Zuniga, who was two inches better at 10-7. Three cone, 6-8-5, best on the team. Short shuttle, 4-2-8, second best on the team by two-tenths of a second. Sorry, two-hundredths. Frankie Louvu, 4.26. And when, you, and when you do the explosion score, bench plus vert plus broad, 73.41. Remember, 70 is the threshold. Over 70 is considered elite traits. Doesn't mean you are an elite player. It's not a guarantee. If it was a guarantee, it'd be too damn easy to pick players. But it's an indicator. You have the trait to be an elite player. Only two players, actually, on the Jets over 70. Jordan Willis and Jabari Zuniga, who comes in at 72.58. So here's Jordan Willis popping out on film to me when I watch the games. I go back, I look at the numbers. He's number one on the team in almost every category, number one or two in every category measuring his physical attributes. And then I think, well, let me see, let me see if I'm out of my mind here. I'm going to go see what PFF says about this guy to get a, you know, a, a second opinion. And, of course, you know, come as no surprise, Jamal Adams. Had the top pass rushing grade on the Jets, 89.9, which should surprise nobody. Um, but among edge rushers, Willis, number one, on, number one on the Jets, 74.8 pass rush grade. Next highest was Jordan Jenkins at 67.4. So I'll tell you what. Listen, it may not, he may, he, the guy may not even make the roster for all we know. I'm not sitting here making any bold predictions. Related to a guy who only played, you know, only rushed the passer 105 times. On 105 rushes, only one sack, but 11 total pressures, which isn't a terrible ratio. That's basically one, once every 10 dropbacks, you're disrupting the play. You're sacking, hitting, or hurrying the quarterback. I know hurries don't get points in fantasy football, but they are important to NFL coaches. So I got to wonder, is this a guy, I mean, basically what I'm saying is keep an eye out for this dude. See, under, under Greg Williams, if they're able to develop some of those traits and get him to be more productive, because the attributes are there. There is no getting around. The attributes are absolutely there. He was a second, third-round pick for the Bengals, and they cut him loose after a couple seasons, didn't work out, and landed with the Jets. And just I just kept seeing him and saying, why does this guy keep popping out? But before we go, a couple other observations from that Week 14 game. If you're in the forums on Jet Nation, I, I threw this into a thread. Just kind of random thoughts, jotting things down while I was watching that game. And uh, here are a few things that jumped out at me. Uh, Quinnen Williams is going to be a monster. He was fantastic in that game. Had a, couple, had a couple missed opportunities, but seeing him split double teams and beat blockers and get into the backfield in a flash, as he gets better, he's, he's still a baby. Is he 22, 21, 22 years old? And he's getting stronger. Somebody, I don't know if it was him. Somebody's posting Twitter pictures, working out, getting bigger. That dude is going to be a beast. People giving up on him are idiots. Uh, Demarius Thomas, listen, bringing him back wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Nowhere near the player he once was, but I'm watching that Miami game, and I'm like, this guy can still play a little bit. You want to bring in a veteran receiver, have that guy in the locker room, that leader who can contribute, help Darnold along? I'd have no issue with Demarius Thomas. Knows the offense as well as anybody. Um, Would bring him back and not, you know, I wouldn't, no, no, no kind of guaranteed deal. 
Uh, Vincent Smith, just talked to Christian Dyer about him. He had a big catch and run in this game, and he, he gets to that top gear real quick. And you kind, of, you kind of see why the Jets liked him. And then I, I watched a little bit, not the, the entire Baltimore game, a little while after that, and he had a big catch and run on a screen pass. And I, I watched those two plays, and I'm like, this dude, again, he might be a player, and so much of it comes down to uh, the biggest X factor on the roster, which I will get to in just a second. We actually have a few minutes left. So I'll, so I'll just say it straight now because this is the bigger point. Um, if Herndon comes back and Herndon is healthy and Herndon picks up where he left off as a rookie, that's going to take pressure off the receivers. And that's going to allow Vincent Smith to make some plays. Guys like Vincent Smith. Uh, Steve McClendon, love him. Just made, some, made, made a couple of really good plays in that game, got in the backfield, and just a badass and a, and a leader. To, to me, he's the guy on that defense. Uh, Terrell Bashan doesn't get enough credit for the way he finished the season, played really well. Greg Williams obviously loved that guy. Uh, Robbie was a monster in that game against the Dolphins. And I was just watching it and holding my breath. And I was like, man, I hope they don't regret this. I hope they don't regret Perriman. Time will tell. Listen, it could be the, the light came on for Perriman over the last five games of the season. Entirely possible. Maybe it was a fluke. We'll have to wait to find out. We'll have to see. Uh, this is probably the only note I made that didn't relate to the future of the current team. But Brandon Shell, Jesus, did that guy get worse every year? I had really high hopes for him. Looked good as a rookie. Thought he was going to develop into a nice player. You kind of figure guys were going to get better. He just seemed to get worse every year. And last year was was about as bad as he got. Uh, Nate Harrison, another guy that's kind of been forgotten about, falling into the background. He's uh he's in again what is now a crowded cornerback room and may get even more crowded in the coming weeks. We'll see. But I wouldn't write him off yet as a guy who won't make the roster. And one of the crazier things in the middle of that defense where you got Shepard and Phillips. I mean, of course, you know, Shepard, Nathan Shepard wasn't a late-round guy. He was an early-round pick. Uh, but Phillips undrafted. They're both going to have better careers than a lot of the guys who were drafted before them. Shepard really looks to be coming on. And Phillips had himself a really good, you know, very impressive rookie season. So um, some nice, nice building. I mean, at the middle of that D-line, Q Williams, Q Williams, Foley, Fadakasi, Shepard, Phillips, um, they, they, some really good young players on that D-line. And, uh, hey, starts up front, generate some pressure, and maybe, you know, allow a guy like Willis, a guy like Zuniga, to get some, uh, to get some one-on-one matchups and, and get to the quarterback, for crying out loud. That'd be nice from time to time, wouldn't it? But uh, that'll wrap up the show for us tonight. A huge thank you to Christian Dyer of Sports Illustrated for joining us. Sorry, Alex couldn't be with us this evening. Again, as I said, hopefully uh, the schedule loosens up and he can join us next week. But until then, have a great one, Jets fans, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!